Now last week we jumped in, the prophetic psalms is what we called it. I had a desire, all, I've always wanted to do this, of could I teach and share the gospel only using psalms? Well, as I started to dig into this study, I thought, oh no, there's a lot more here than I thought. Like I was just planning on taking the psalms version and put it on a wristband and say, we got it, five verses. Well, the reality is, is now we have a bingo sheet. Okay, so what we're going to do today is I'm going to do a, a, a quick recap of your sheet, okay? So, look, I'm not going to teach you the whole thing, all right? So I am going to emphasize. Now, what I wanted to do was I wanted to show in the book of Psalms, okay, this first part, this tan part that's highlighted, if you want to write something up there, I want you to write first coming, okay? All of these Psalms describe the first coming. What we're going to get to today is the Psalms that talk about the second coming. So his son came. His son came with authority, okay? And in that, he's going to have a battle. You remember that? In this authority, there's still going to be this, ta- this tension, this battle. And he's going to have this zeal and this passion for the house. Remember, he starts flipping up stuff. All of this then is prophetically painted in Psalms and fulfilled in the New Testament, okay? So not only does he have zeal, he also says, I'm coming. <laughs> I know it sounds obvious, but it says that he's coming. And then as he's coming, he's going to come and fulfill God's will. That's important because Jesus didn't want to do some of the things that God asked him to do. You know that. You realize that, right? Okay, that sounds strange to talk, th- think about, but he didn't want to go through the suffering. So you have all of these. He's coming to fulfill God's will. He's going to be betrayed by Judas. In that, Jesus is going to experience unjust hatred. He's going to be scorned. He's going to be mocked. All of this is prophetic. He's going to be forsaken. He's going to be offered a drink. The soldiers are going to gamble for his clothes. He's going to be experiencing the piercing on the hands and the feet and on the side. And then, Wendy, we talked about this, no broken bones, right? The mentality, I love that imagery. The prophetic, you know, in Psalm 34, 20, he protects all of his bones. Not one of them is broken. It prophesies about the resurrection in the Psalms. It then leads to the ascension, right? Just... This sounds silly, but these are Christian terms. Well, what is the ascension? It's resurrection. So, it's, it's, it's him going to be seated on the throne. So he's already come back to life. Yep. And now say that one more time. It's, it's him seated at the right hand of the Father. He ascends to the throne. Good. Okay. So there's a difference between resurrection and ascension. And then you have where he comes to establish himself as the cornerstone of the church. Again, it's prophesied in the Psalms and Jesus is the fulfillment. The new priesthood, Ray, let's just, why don't you describe that a little bit if you don't mind. Yeah, in uh, Hebrews it talks about when there's a change in the law, there's a change in the priesthood. And so he is described in Hebrews as after the order of Melchizedek. So he's not a Levite. He doesn't come from the tribe of Levi. So it says that this is a new kind of priest that has no beginning and no end of days. And he's a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. This is important to understand Basically, when you get to here and moving forward, we're going to start moving into the period that we're going to talk about today. Okay, so Christ is already the law has been fulfilled, right? Isn't that, isn't that what Christ said? Yep. I didn't come to destroy or abolish the law or the prophets. I came to fulfill. And so we're going to see now walking out the fulfillment of Christ being the new priest. And then, you know, right, the betrayal all the way up here with Judas. Well, scripture prophesies that they're going to actually replace this guy. So he now is replaced, it's actually prophesied, and it is fulfilled. Does anybody remember the name of the new, uh, the new disciple? Matthias, right? Matthias? That guy. 
right? Everybody, everybody got the name, okay? So that's, that is, now if you dug in some more, I'm sure you could pick apart a couple more prophetic psalms that describe the first coming. For the sake of our bingo sheet, this is all we got, okay? Now, a lot of you are doing the math. You're like, wow, our lesson's going to be pretty easy today. Look, two, four, six, eight points today. We had 20, how many do we have? 19? Yeah, no problem. I hope we finish today, actually. So anyway, this is where we're going to go today. Everybody good? All right, so let's do that. We got, uh, Rich helped me make a little bit more of a slide here, so that'll help us. So, all right, we're going to jump into now the transition of what we would call the second coming. And can I just tell you, it will get swirly and swirly fast. You know all these terminologies, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, the rapture. You know, I haven't really talked about the rapture yet, right? <laughs> it's because it shouldn't be our emphasis. Can I tell you that? I think a lot of people hang their hat on the rapture so much because we just want to get out of here. That's what I was taught. So let me just tell you this. I'm excited for the rapture. But I'm going to live as if I don't know when it is. Okay, is that a fair statement? Theologically, you can hang your hat on any one of those camps, and I am great with that. But I still want to teach us and equip us to number our days just in case you're here at the beginning, in the middle, or at the end. Wouldn't you be mad if you were still here in the middle of the tribulation? And you've been living all your life as if you were leaving before? So I'm, up here, here, I'm serious. Here's my point. You live, okay, as if you could believe... How do we want to say this, Ray? Just live like you're going to go through it. Okay. <laughs> I, had a, I had a different way of saying that, but I like that version. That's good. All right, so here, here's what we're going to write. This is why I say this, because I'm going to bring up the first topic, and it is already going there, okay? So in your little box, I want you to write the phrase, marriage of the lamb. I mean, you want to talk about a terminology. Whew. So uh, marriage of the lamb is the first one that we're going to go to. Psalm 45, 13 through 15. Psalm 45, okay? 13 through 15. Now, remember, uh, Christ is, Ray, where is Christ right now? He's seated at the right hand. He's seated at the right hand. The ascension has taken place. Okay? He's seated at the right hand. So prophetically, we are waiting for his return or the second coming. Okay? So Psalm 45, verse 13, 14, and 15, it says this. In her chamber, the royal daughter is all glorious. Her clothing embroidered with gold. In colorful garments, she is led to the king. After her, the virgins, her companions, are brought to you. They are led in with gladness and rejoicing. They enter the king's palace. This is an awesome picture, you guys, of what? People getting ready for a wedding. People are getting ready for a wedding. So in Psalm 45, here you have this incredible picture of a wedding that's going to take place. Now, why I talked about the rapture. Why did I bring all of that up? Because the next place that we're going to go does an incredible picture about what this is going to look like. If you would, go to 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. It's a little bit longer, okay? 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. And I'll describe why in a second. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. 
Okay, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, concerning those who are asleep. So that, Ray, asleep would be another term for? Death. Dead. Okay? So that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. Scripture continues on. Since we believe that Jesus died, rose again in the same way, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep through Jesus. Okay? So those that have been dead, hang in there. It's okay, for we say this to you by a revelation from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming. Okay? Praise the Lord will certainly have no advantage over those who have fallen asleep. We have no advantage if you're alive or if you're dead at the Lord's coming. According to this text, verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. So anybody that's gone before us that believes in Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection, and they're dead, the scripture says what, Ray? They're going to rise first. So if you're hanging out here in Dallas or Richardson, you could see him, I, right? Amen. Hey, I don't want to get creepy. I was going to start saying some names, but, but that's what it says. Am I right? Look, don't get so overwhelmed without looking at the obvious things that it says. It says in verse 17, then we who are still alive will be caught up together with them. High-fiving. Hello. In the clouds. It doesn't say that. To meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Ray, you would say this is a fair statement. This is the rapture verse that so many that would go to. Yep. Okay. Amen. So what you're going to see prophetically in Psalm 45 is a picture of a wedding that's going to take place. Now here you have in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, guess what's going to take place? The marriage of the Lamb. The wedding that is going to be taking place. Now, just so you guys are on the same page, okay, let's keep going. Go to Hebrews 9, 26 through 28. This one is a fun one. Hebrews 9, 26 through 28. I am still in the first point on your first little bingo square of the marriage of the Lamb. Hebrews 9, 26 says, Otherwise, he would have had to suffer many times since the foundation of the world. But now he has appeared one time, look at this, at the end of the ages. So he came once for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of what? Of himself. Now he says in 27, and just as it is appointed for people to die once and after this judgment. Now watch in 28. So also the Messiah, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to watch this. To those who are what? Waiting for him. Somebody's got to get some goosebumps going on that one. So what are we seeing? We are seeing a marriage that's going to take place. First Thessalonians talks about it. Hebrews talks about it. He's not coming the first time to take care of the sacrifice. He's coming to the salvation to those that are waiting in dead and in alive. Okay. Now, this is where it kind of gets fun. You got to set the stage for some of these verses. Now, there's another text there. <laughs> Let's go to Revelation 19, 6 through 9. <laughs> oh, this is just fun. Revelation 19, 6 through 9. This will help you tie in Psalm 45. Revelation 19, 6 through 9 says this. Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters and like the rumbling of loud thunder saying, Hallelujah, because our Lord God, the Almighty, has begun to reign. Let us be glad. Rejoice. Uh, and give him glory because the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has prepared herself. Ray, before I even get into verse eight, who's his wife? 
It's us. It's his, it's his bride, the body of Christ. Okay, so his bride. I'm, I'm <laughs> actually serious about this because it's a weird, weird terminology. He's coming for his wife. So the wife, his bride, you say it's the body of Christ. Just who is that? That's us. Everyone who believes in Jesus is the bride. Okay, so anybody who believes in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is the bride, his wife. That's a weird thing for a guy to say. I'm serious. You're kind of like, I'm Christ's wife. But it's all of us that believe in him. So he has come for the wife that has prepared herself. Why do we always say be ready? Because of Revelation 19.7. He's coming because he's implied we have gotten ready. We have prepared ourselves. We're ready for him to come. And so then how do we get ready? Look at verse 8. She was permitted then to wear fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said in verse 9, uh, right, blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. He also said to me, these words of God are true. Psalm 45 is an incredible picture of Revelation 19. Okay, everybody good? There's a lot more to that. I just want you to understand there's a lot more we can unpack, but I, I just want to take that Psalm 45. I want you to see how that rapture, how that imagery of people coming and they're getting dressed, they're getting ready is going to take place. When and how, I really don't know. If you want to theologically communicate, I believe it's here, here, or here. It actually, to me, I'm indifferent about it. I'm excited about the picture. I'm serious. I, and I think we've been so intimidated by trying to figure out where it fits that we just don't even go there at all. But doesn't this legitimately get you excited? Yes. It does me. So this is our first point that we have here, marriage of the lamb that you guys can put in your little box, if you don't mind. We've got another language here, uh, and this is kind of a, a humdinger. I don't know how to describe it. Uh, at once, <laughs> once the marriage of the lamb takes place, uh, or simultaneously, I think I could even say at some point, uh, Ray, is that you're going to, there's this language, God's wrath. <laughs> I held up a little bit on that one. I want you to read Psalm 110, if you can. Psalm 110, 5 through 7. And we're going to make a couple distinctions here in a little bit. Psalm 110, 5 through 7. Psalm 110, by the way, is one of the psalms that David wrote. He talked about these 73 psalms. This is one of them. Scripture says this, The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his anger. Okay, it says in verse 6, He will judge the nations, heaping up corpses. He will crush leaders over the entire world. And then in verse 7, he will drink from the brook by the road. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Now, when you think of end times, this is actually what you start thinking about. The fightings, the battles, the, the annihilation, the crushing. Like, that's the language that you think. Now, remember this, okay? You have uh, the marriage of the Lamb taking place. And at that point, you're seeing God's wrath released. <laughs> is, that, is that a safe way to say it, right? <laughs> I want to make sure everybody understands something, and I'm not going to go into crazy detail. There is a difference, though, between Satan's wrath and God's wrath. Amen. That's a big difference in order to understand a lot of this. But because we're not digging into all of that in the Psalms, I just want to make sure everybody understands. There's a difference between Satan's wrath and God's wrath. Okay? In this, marriage of the Lamb is taking place. God is now releasing his wrath. Okay, 
And you can see this in Psalm 110, this language of, by the way, he's going to come and clean house. Where do we see this in the New Testament? This is where we're going to hang out for a little bit today. Revelation 6, 16 through 17, okay? Revelation 6, okay, 16 through 17. Now, can you see already how this is already preparing you for the whole study of Revelation? It's so fun to see how it all just... Revelation 6 says this, verse 16, And they said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us, actually... Uh, yeah, let's go there. I was going to go back a little bit farther. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb, because the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand? So, Ray, in this picture, what are they describing? Uh, they're describing that wrath is about to be poured out. It's, uh, it's the sixth seal. Yeah. In this context of God's wrath, we are going to begin to describe the seventh seal taking place, and then the trumpets and the wrath. Okay, does that make sense? So if you go to Revelation 8, let's go to verses 1 through 6, you're going to begin to see, if I have that right, yeah, Revelation 8, 1 through 6, the beginning of what we would call the seventh seal, okay? Revelation 8 says this, when he opened the seventh seal, and by the way, Ray, who is only qualified to open the seals? Jesus. This is Jesus. Okay, I know we didn't get into that at the very beginning of Revelation, but just as everybody's caught up, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. I love the about. For you humans, this will work, right? Kind of deal. <laughs> then I saw the seven angels who stand in the presence of God. Seven trumpets were given to them. And then another angel says in verse three, another angel with a gold incense burner came and stood at the altar. He was given a large amount of incense to, the offer, to offer with the prayers of all the saints on all the gold altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints, look at this, went up in the presence of God from the angel's hand. The angel took the incense burner, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it to the earth. There were rumblings of thunder, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Finally, in verse 6, and the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. And so what do you have? You have the beginning of the releasing of what? The wrath. Now, right before the wrath, what do we see? The marriage of the Lamb. The timing, we can get into a little bit more about all that later. But I just want you to see the marriage of the Lamb, and God says, and now here we go. Okay? All right, so here you have seventh seal now releasing. And I just, just as a visual for you guys here, uh, I do want to write down... Uh, and I'm not going to actually read any of this, but I do want you to see Revelation 8 through 11, you guys, is talking about the seven trumpets. Okay? So when we're talking about the wrath being poured, the wrath comes out once the seventh seal has been released and then through the seven trumpets. I'm not teaching through the seven trumpets today, okay? Okay, we can get to that at the end, okay? But I want you to see that the trumpets are releasing, okay, the wrath. Revelation 14 9 through 12. I wanted to do this one here because I wanted to show you something as well. Revelation 14, 9 through 12 says, And a third angel following them spoke with a loud voice. If anybody worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, Scripture says he will also drink the what? The wine of God's wrath, which is mixed full strength in the cup of his anger. He will be tormented with fire and sulfur inside of the holy angels and in sight of the Lamb. 
and the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever. There's no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image or anybody who receives the mark of his name. Uh, here is the endurance of the saints who keeps commands and their faith in Jesus. So I know we're getting into the trumpets, but I just wanted to see God's wrath is going to be released as well, specifically to those that receive the mark of the beast on the forehead and uh, the hand. Okay. So just a picture of what that could look like. Revelation finally 16, 11, as we close out this little verse, uh, this little group here, Revelation 16, verse 11, it says this. Is it, what is it? 16, 1. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Okay, so Revelation 16, 1, thanks. Revelation 16, 1 says, Then I heard a loud voice from the sanctuary saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. There's a lot of question about trumpets, then uh, wrath, or bowls of wrath. Are they simultaneously? I'll just say this for the sake of our conversation today. They both release God's wrath. Okay, for timing's sake, they both release God's wrath. Marriage of the Lamb has taken place and God's wrath is released. All right, let's go to the next point. All right, everybody good? Marriage of the Lamb. Hey, praise the Lord. We're hanging out with the Messiah, right? This is the language. This is the mentality. God's wrath is revealed. But the Psalms also says that salvation, here it is, uh, of Israel takes place. Yes, the Psalms prophesies about the future of Israel. Psalm uh, 69, 35 through 36. 69, 35 through 36. Isn't this crazy to think the psalmists are writing about the end times? Psalm 69, verse 35 says, For God will save Zion. Zion is Israel. God will save Zion, build up the cities of Judah. They will live there and possess it. The descendants of his servants will inherit it, and those who love his name will live in it. It's a prophetic picture of God saving the people of Israel. Okay? Now, prophetically, this is where it gets fun, okay? Let's go to Matthew 23, 39. Now, you have to understand something in these pictures, right? I want to make sure everybody understands something. I'm going back to God's wrath. This stuff has not happened yet, by the way. Does that make sense? Down below, we're in the first coming, that box that we had on the bottom, it was fulfilled because of the first coming. Anything that we go from the Old Testament to the New Testament in the return of Christ, the second coming, none of this has happened yet. I want to just make sure everybody understands. None of this has taken place yet. So God's wrath, it has not taken place. Salvation of Israel has not taken place. So Matthew 23, verse 39, Jesus is talking about this. And Jesus says this, For I tell you, you will never see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, when the Jews cry out, Whoa! That's the Messiah. Do you see what I'm saying? You will not see salvation. Right? Yeah. That's, uh, they're going to recognize uh, Jesus as the Messiah. And they're going to cry out for him. Amen. And what you will see is, this will then bring about a fulfillment of Genesis 12, 1, 2, and 3. The Abrahamic covenant, right? Do you remember this? This is a tie into the Abrahamic covenant. This is a tie into even the Davidic covenant. There's lots of layers here, but I just want to make sure, Ray, you want to add something to that? You know, on a Palm Sunday, they cried out this phrase. It's from the Old Testament. Yep. Prophetic thing, they cried out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But they were 
crying out for the second coming, thinking that, that they weren't the focused right. on the first. Yeah. And so it was kind of a dress rehearsal. That's right. So they're crying out because they think he's going to implement it all. I'm a king. I'm going to implement all the political stuff. This is my kingdom. Right? But that doesn't happen, though, until the second coming. Marriage of the Lamb, God's wrath, salvation of Israel. Okay? I'm saying this just like we did last week. I want us to start thinking the order of what this could look like. And it's scriptural. Now, as we go on, uh, this is the one that really is just kind of fun. Here you have the return of, let me make sure I have it written right, King of Glory. Okay, now, without even studying anything, you're like, wait a minute, what's the marriage of the Lamb? The marriage of the Lamb is that he's coming for his bride. Specifically his bride to experience the wedding. God's wrath comes into play. Once God's wrath comes into play, salvation of Israel, and then you see the return of the glory. Now you can say, well, what does that look like? Well, let's look. Psalm 24 verses 7 through 10. Now, this is another Davidic psalm, by the way. Psalm 24, verses 7 through 10. <laughs> it says, lift up your heads, you gates. Rise up, ancient doors. Then the king of glory will come in. Verse 8, it says, who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Rise up, you ancient doors. Then the king of glory will come in. Verse 10, it says, who is he, king of glory, the Lord of hosts? He is the king of glory. This is the picture, you guys, of Christ ultimately coming back. Now, when we say coming back, this language of the return of the king of glory and the other ones, this is going to implement the thousand years, okay? So the next couple points are all right, they're all together, okay? So you'll, you'll see, you know how like when we were talking about um, Jesus wanted a drink and then these guys uh, gambled for clothes, you know how it's like all just like, right at the same time frame. This is that same language I want you to think of, okay? You have God's wrath, salvation of Israel, and now the return of the king of the glory to implement a thousand years, okay? That's, when you hear the word king of glory, you should start thinking, all right. That's really, what you, like, this is it. So where do we go in the New Testament? Well, you could go to some really fun places, but I want to go to Revelation 19, 11 through 21. Yes, it's long, but I want us to see the picture of all this. When you start reading Revelation 19, you should start thinking, man, I read that already in Psalm 24. I already knew he was coming. Revelation 19, 11 through uh, 21. Hang in here with me as I read this. Then I saw heaven opened and there was a white horse. Its rider is called faithful and true, and he judges and makes war in righteousness. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe stained with blood, and his name is called the Word of God. That's how we know, you guys. This is Yeshua. It says the armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses, wearing pure white linen. Now watch, why does this timing work? Because what has already happened? The marriage. The wedding has already happened. So guess what they're going to do? They're coming with the king. And they're already what? 
dressed. They're already dressed. And can I just tell you this? We don't have to do any of the fighting, by the way. We just follow. I'm serious. It says a sharp sword came from his mouth in Revelation 19:15, so that he might strike the nations with it. He will shepherd them with an iron scepter. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God, the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe. And this is where it talks about a tattoo on his thigh. King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing on the sun and he cried out in a loud voice saying to all the birds flying high overhead. I love that, by the way. Come gather together for a great supper of God. Do you see what he's saying? Come and eat them. Because I'm totally going to wipe it out. Come and gather and have a feast, but it's a different kind of feast. So that you may eat the flesh of kings, the, the flesh of commanders, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of their riders, and the flesh of everybody, both free and slave, small and great. Then Revelation 19, 19, then I saw the beast, the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and against his army. The rider on the horse is who? Jesus. So we are going to see a battle. Ray, what would we call this battle? Armageddon. Armageddon. So what you're going to see is, is really it, this picture here is now somewhere right is here is now this picture of Armageddon. And by the way, it's an actual place, Armageddon. The valley, it's a valley, it's, for, it's, it's legit. You can go to Israel, you can see where it's going to happen. And it talks about how full it's going to be of blood. You can look on the mountain, look over, and you're going to be like, I cannot believe. If you believe scripture is true, you can believe that it's going to be there. And so what do you have? It says, okay, but the beast, it says in Revelation 19, 20, when Christ came back, his armies came back, the flesh and everybody's getting ready to fight, but the beast was taken prisoner. And along with him was also the false prophet. Ray, real quick, we didn't even, who are these two guys? I got different. You make it simple. <laughs> well, the false prophet, uh, I believe is the Antichrist. The Antichrist, absolutely, I'm with okay. you. Okay, is that all you want to go? Is I'll that go the safe now. route today? Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna okay, go. so the beast was taken prisoner, along with him, the false prophet, who had performed signs on his authority by which has deceived those who accept, accepted the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. Both of them were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. That's a good time to clap. Amen. <laughs> the rest were killed with the sword that came from the mouth of the rider on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh. When the king of glory comes, he's bringing that who already had been married to. They're already dressed and they're coming now to clean house. And you don't have to do a thing except believe that he is the king of glory. And I think for me, that imagery of the flesh and the destruction should be enough for us to get off our rears and go tell somebody about Christ. Amen. You're telling me that we know that hell and destruction is coming for every mankind that doesn't know Christ and we refuse to tell somebody about him? That's probably why he's waiting. He doesn't want anybody to go through that. So when we talk about numbering our days, you see, when you understand the big picture, you will make the most of every encounter and person that's in front of you. Oh, hey, I'm calling all the birds because they're going to eat everything. Oh yeah, I knew about that. I'm sorry, I just didn't tell you. 
It's pretty real. Why I don't understand it doesn't motivate the church. And my prayer is that this will turn the corner. That the remnant will rise up and say, no more. We have to tell people about Jesus. And so here you have a picture of the return of the King of Glory. Amen? Amen. Okay, let's just do a quick summary here, okay, if we can. A quick summary. A quick summary is this. We started off with the marriage of the Lamb. After the marriage of the Lamb, you're going to experience, you're going to see here, not we, you're going you're to see God's wrath take place. After God's wrath takes place, then what do you have? Salvation of Israel. God has a plan and a purpose. He's not done, you guys. He's promised it at the beginning. He's going to see it come to fruition. After the salvation of Israel takes place, you're going to see the return of the King of Glory. Okay, after you see this, this is, remember, all of this is just on the book of Psalms. We didn't even think about teaching about this until three weeks ago. Oh, man. And then what you'll see here is this. Not only is he the king of the glory, king of glory, he is the ruler of all. Okay? He is the ruler. Uh, let me, uh, you're going to make me, I'm sorry. You're not going to like that I did this. Ruler overall. Psalm 110. Verse 1. We've actually read this multiple times before. Psalm 110, verse 1 says, David writes this, by the way. The Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until what? Until I make your enemies your footstool. Now, you remember how I said all this is going to start feeling the same? Remember, when the king of glory comes, we, we just read through Armageddon. We just read through that in Revelation. This is the same context. He's coming to make all of the enemies his footstool. I got him. I guess people don't put their foot on a footstool like that, but... He will. He will. He will crush them, I guess. I was like, oh, I don't know, that's not going to work. Uh, anyway, what do you see this? How does this unfold? I'm not going to go there, but I want to reference Acts 2, 34 through 35, okay? Now remember, this has not happened yet, okay? So what do you see in Acts 2? We see this prophesied as well. We see this in Hebrews 10, uh, 12 through 14, okay? Hebrews 10, 12 through 14. All of this is quoting Psalm 110, verse 1. Okay, you also see this in Mark 12, 35 through 37. And where I want to go just to wrap this one up is in Revelation 19, 15. Okay, Revelation 19, 15 is, is a good picture of Psalm 110. A sharp sword, we already read this. Okay, remember how I said they're intertwined? A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will shepherd them with an iron scepter. He will also, what, trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God, the Almighty. So he will not only be the king of glory, he's going to rule over everything. In other words, everything is his footstool now. You guys ever watched uh, is, uh, I Love Lucy? <laughs> I always think of this, always. And I didn't even watch it. I think it's in black and white, you know I mean? Do you remember how they were on the grapes? And they, uh, like... She pulls up her pants or whatever, whatever those things are called, knickers or whatevockers and whatever, you know, and she's tramping on all the grapes, right? And she's enjoying and delighting it. Like this is her mentality. Like he's coming to do this for good. Okay, so this is the image that you have. He's the ruler over all. Now, this one here is, I have such a radical passion for Israel. I had a Damascus Road experience in April 5th, April 6th, 2001. I didn't even know anything about the Jews. I didn't know anything about Israel, but God said, that's part of your plan. And part of the plan was, was this. 
Mount Zion. Not only is he going to trample everything, all the nations, all the kings. Oh, by the way, I have a home. And the king is going to rule and reign from Mount Zion. So when he comes back as the king of glory, right? And he comes back on the Mount of Olives and it splits. Where is he going to call home? Mount Zion, also known as Jerusalem. And it talks about this in Psalm 2, verses 4, 5, and 6. Psalm 2, verses 4 through 6. Scripture says this. The one enthroned in heaven laughs, for the Lord ridicules them. Then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. Do you see the language now? It's like, oh yeah, in his wrath, by the way, this is what's going to happen. He says this in verse uh, 6. I have consecrated my king, right? The king of glory on Zion, my holy mountain. So I'm going to establish who he is as a ruler over all and as a king. And his home base is not Dallas. It's not Berlin. It's not Tokyo. It's not in Russia. It's not in Kenya. It's not in Botswana. It's not in South Africa. It's in Jerusalem. Why? Because that's where God picked. That's the best answer. It's the only answer. So Psalm 2, 4, 6 says, by the way, this is the place. Now, one more. Psalm 132, 13 through 18. This one is really, uh, it's more of a home run than the other one. Psalm 132, 13 through 18. Come on, I, I just I wanted to start singing this one. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his home. This is my resting place forever. I will make my home here because I have desired it. I will abundantly bless its food. I will satisfy its needy with bread. I will clothe its priests with salvation and its godly people will shout for joy. Then I will make, now here it is, a horn grow for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed one. I will clothe his enemies with shame, but the crown he wears will be glorious. Mount Zion is the resting place for King Jesus, the King of glory. And yes, Linda, you're right. It's forever. So why is there a battle over Jerusalem? Because the battle said it was going to begin in Genesis 3.15. But we don't see this if we don't take time to slowly process the truth. And Jesus says in Luke 24, 44, by the way, I'm going to teach you everything about the laws and the prophets and the Psalms. And then he began to open their minds so that they could understand the truth. The New Testament version of this is, is Matthew 25, verse 31. Matthew 25, verse 31. Matthew 25, verse 31. Scripture says this, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. You know, this is a pretty straightforward one to me. King of glory comes, Son of Man comes in his glory. Angels are with him. He's going to sit on his throne where? Here. Mount Zion. Okay, Ray, you want to add anything? No, but since chills down my... Spine. Pretty. It's like John. I just want to follow my face. Yeah. Amen. 
Amen. Amen. I'm going to go to two more, and then we're going to wrap up, okay? Millennium. Okay? So, remember this. When he comes to Jerusalem, he's going to implement the millennium, which is a thousand years. King of glory comes. God's wrath has been released. He's coming. And now it's going to take place in the millennium. And in Psalm 22, 25 through 31. Psalm 22, 25 through 31 talks about the millennium. Okay? I'm going to read just a couple of the descriptions here. I will give praise in your great congregation because of you. I will fulfill my vows before those who fear you. The humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All of the ends of the earth will remember and what? Turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you. For kingship belongs to who? To the Lord. He rules over the nations. And all who prosper on earth will eat and bow down. And all those who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Even the one who cannot preserve his life. Their descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told about the Lord. They will come and tell people yet to be born about his righteousness, what he has done. Revelation 20 verses 1 through 3 talks about it. Now, I will tell you this. This text here doesn't necessarily describe this very good. Okay, I'm just going to already tell you that now. But what Revelation 20 does, it describes the millennium in the numbers. Okay, in terms. So Revelation 20 verse 1, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with a key to the abyss and a great chain in his hand. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss, closed it, put a seal on it so that he would no longer deceive the nations until the thousand years were completed. After that, he must be released for a short time. All I wanted to say is this. Psalm 22 describes what the millennium looks like. Revelation 20 describes how long it's going to be. Okay, is that fair? Okay, Ray, I don't know how else to clean that one up. No, that's good. So that's the millennium. There Again, <clears throat> this is in the Psalms because of time. I'm kind of going through this one a little bit faster. And then this is your last point, and this one fits everything. Okay, eternal throne. Again, this is very similar language to what we're saying. But now remember, after the millennium, it's forever. <laughs> There's a lot to that one. Psalm 45, verse 6. Psalm 45, verse 6, it just says, Your throne, God, is how long? Forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. Psalm 89, verse 3 and 4. I hope you guys are doing good and keeping up. Psalm 89, verses 3 and 4. The Lord said, I've made a covenant with my chosen one. I've sworn an oath to David, my servant. Remember this, the Davidic covenant that we talked about? But to, uh, I will make your offspring endure forever and establish your throne for how long? All generations. So what we're seeing is the king of glory coming, coming to Mount Zion. The millennium takes place. And then we will see that this kingdom will rule and reign forever. We can get into timing all that later. Okay. And the only thing I'll say is, is Hebrews 1, 8. Thank you for your patience. Hebrews 1, 8. This is your only verse that you have here. Hebrews 1, 8 says, but to the son... Your throne, God is forever and ever, and the scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. He's just requoting the Psalms. Isn't this awesome? So, congratulations. You made it through the first coming and the second coming, all through studying the book of Psalms.
Lord, we just say thank you for the Psalms. It is super humbling to think you painted from the very beginning to the very end in 150 chapters. May we steward what we've just been taught. May we steward what we've just been reading. Yeah. In Jesus' name, amen.